Good morning and welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are joining us online or with us in person, or even watching this at some later date, we are excited to worship with you this morning. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. No matter where you're watching from, we are glad you're here with us. At Dayspring, we believe that nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just exploring, or maybe you walked away and are reconsidering. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. And we would love nothing more than to walk with you. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, please explore our website at dsf.church. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service already in progress. Good morning, church family. I'm so excited to be with you on this kind of rainy, but, you know, nice spring day. I'm kind of enjoying the colder weather, but I know some people love the warmer weather. Now, I really enjoy superhero stories. Over the past few years, luckily, we've seen movies that feature a variety of heroes, some that resemble gods, all the way down to people who don't actually have superpowers, but they just happen to be rich. I'm looking at you, Batman and Tony Stark. Now, my favorite superhero is Spider-Man. And he's from the Marvel Comics. He's so different than all other superheroes. He's usually depicted as a teen in high school or in college who is trying to do the most good he can for the citizens of New York City. He cracks jokes as he combats evil and occasionally an alien or two because it's the comic books. But there's one character who is always trying to take Spider-Man down, a character named J. Jonah Jameson. And this guy, he's totally focused on tearing him down and claiming that Spider-Man is a criminal, even though he does so much good in face uh, of that opposition for New York City. And as a viewer, we are frustrated as J.J. tries to sabotage Spider-Man at every turn, but Spider-Man persists, even though the city is totally turned against him. And this storyline doesn't only apply to Spider-Man. It also applies to a man who was and is God. The Son of Man, the Son of God, Savior of the world, who came to earth as our hero, was despised and rejected by the world around him. Yet still, he persisted in doing what his father called him to do. A man whose story is bigger and better than Thor or any other superhero story. His name is Jesus. And we get to learn a little bit more about him today. Now, if you're just joining us, we are in week three of our series called Essentials, Live Like You Believe. We're studying through some of the foundational truths uh, that we believe, the foundations of our truth and our faith 
topics we identify as essential theology, like God, salvation, and even the end times. Now, Pastor Chris started this series by talking about the essential truths we find in Scripture. And that was a great segue from our previous series, which was all how we got the Bible to this one. And if you missed any of our Bible for Adults series, I highly recommend going back and listening to those messages. You can find them on our YouTube channel, on our website, or you can even listen to them on our podcast. Now, one truth that we've learned through that series is that without Jesus, we wouldn't have the Bible. Plain and simple. Jesus is the reason for it all, and it all comes back to him. And as Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the New York Times best-selling children's book, The Jesus Story Bible, she writes, There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And as I've just talked about, what we believe about Jesus is very essential. But what about this question? Who is Jesus? It doesn't matter what we believe about Jesus uh, if we don't know who he is. And perhaps you think you maybe have him like all figured out. You've known him for as long as you can remember. You grew up in church and you see him as the most important person in your life. Most, most uh, as important as your best friend. But for many, he still remains a mystery. After Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, many grappled with how he was God, but yet also man. And I'm sure that after 2,000 years, the same struggle happens in our minds as well. And as different as those early Christ followers are from us, there's still a whole lot that we have in common. Now today, I still have a very similar, similar struggle of knowing exactly who Jesus is. Many of us know the truth that Jesus loves me from singing the classic children's song in Sunday school, but that doesn't really help us on our journey of discovering who Jesus is. But I find this so interesting. For many, his name is part of our common language, even for those who don't believe in him as Lord and Savior. When a toe is stubbed, going to get a drink of water in the middle of the night, his name is blurted out. Or when shopping at Lowe's, picking up supplies for your home remodel and the price tag for lumber gives you sticker shock, his name is exclaimed for the whole store to hear. His name is a curse word? No one uses your name or my name as an expletive. You know, oh, John, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> and then his name includes a title, Christ. Why does he have so many names or so many titles? Son of Man, Christ, Emmanuel. There are a lot of questions when it comes to this man. And the answer to these questions shape both our theology about our relationship with God, the Father, which incidentally is who and what Pastor Michelle taught about last week. But they also impact your overall faith journey in many ways. And as we look at our discipleship process, which hopefully you'll be able to see on your screens, but you can also find on our website, uh, one of the first things in our uh, path through our four different uh, identifiers is that Christ is first, is what we call a catalyst, all the way through a believer's journey. 
As we mature our faith, it is tightly held, it's a tightly held belief that keeps Jesus at the center of our journey. We continue to grow when we make sure Jesus has first place in our lives no matter what. And the second catalyst that involves Jesus is that our identity is found in him. I exist to serve, know, and love God. It's about allowing what you know to move your heart and your hands and feet towards action. It's the result of knowing the why. And today we'll be focusing more on the knowing aspect, but we'll also consider some of the ways knowing who Jesus is should affect our lives. With the understanding that Jesus should be at the center of it all and that there's a lot to get through, let's get into the question and answer our question, who is this guy? So first up, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, if you have your Bible with you, either your phone or the real deal in your hands, turn to John 1.1. Now, Jesus, he wasn't just God. He was a flesh and blood man like you and me. But he wasn't just any flesh and blood person. He was God, fully God and fully man. And this complexity was a challenge for the early church to understand, and we're still trying to ma- wrap our heads around it today. So let's get into the word itself and see what it has to say. So we'll read the first five verses here and then skip down to verse 14. So let's start. John 1, 1, 1 through 5, then 14. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word became human and made his home among us. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, one and only Son. Now, John, not me, John, this John, at the beginning of the gospel states that Jesus has always existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And this verse, among others, supports our belief that God exists as what we call the Trinity, three distinct persons, yet one God. Michelle taught this in her sermon last week, so if you missed it, again, go back and give that a listen. And Jesus who is the second person of the Trinity, who John calls the Word in this passage, which again is a name in a long list of names given to Jesus, became flesh. He entered the world as a baby, born to a virgin, yet relinquished none of his divinity. Though he was fully human, he was also completely God. And it's really impossible for our finite human minds to really comprehend this giant truth. And yet, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Not only was Jesus perfect, but he also knows what it's like to be us, to be human, to feel, to want, to need. His humanity was tested through temptation, pain, and loss. And in fact, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to hurt. Because of this, I can trust Jesus with my pain because I know he's experienced it too. He's been through the ups and downs of life, but never stumbled and never sinned. He was perfect. And it would be easy for Jesus to use his position to seize authority over the earth to make it all his. 
that's actually not what happens. If we turn to our passage in Philippians, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, it says this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he, he humbled himself in obedience to die to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus ultimately receives the honor that comes with being the Son of God, but he walked through life with humility and obedience to the will of his Father. He was a servant even to those who didn't deserve it. There are very few historians that would claim that Jesus never existed. There's way too much proof that he indeed was a real person in time and history. So the question, of course, becomes, who was he really? Many claim that Jesus was simply a prophet or even a good teacher, but not God. And in fact, we see this claim made by many people in the Bible. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So the confusion about Jesus dates way back when, when he was on the earth, but not all were confused at least. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, of course, answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Though some were uncertain about who Jesus was, ultimately his disciples believed that and believed that Jesus was the son of the living God, a conviction they gave their lives for. And tradition says that Peter was crucified as Jesus was, but he was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die as Jesus did. Why would so many people die for a lie? unless Jesus was truly the Son of God. The second truth about Jesus we're looking at is that Jesus was, the, was looked at and being the promised Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. And the Old Testament is full of prophecy concerning God's promised deliverer. So we actually get to skip all the way back to Genesis 3 as we look at this uh, Messiah to come. Genesis 3, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, that being Eve, what have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, mankind, right from the beginning, misses the mark. They were deceived by the enemy and sin enters our story. Along with the di discipline that God deals out here in Genesis 3, he also makes a promise that one day an offspring of mankind will come down to strike the enemy. 
This is scripture, like, so cool. From the beginning of the story, a deliverer, a redeemer, Messiah is promised. Right when we mess up, God has a solution. Israel waited throughout generations for this offspring to come. They memorized scripture about this coming king and anticipated his coming with annual feasts. Yet, when he finally arrives, hardly anyone recognizes him. Now, Simeon, a man described in the book of Luke as being devout and righteous, eagerly awaited this Messiah. He had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Christ, the promised one. And Mary and Joseph brought their little boy to the temple to offer sacrifices. And there, Simeon receives the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit's promise. He sees and holds the baby Jesus. So in Luke 2, 33-35, the story is recorded. It says, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, to the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. The arrival of a Messiah was prophesied many, many times during Israel's history. This deliverer was their one hope. And being under, under Roman rule, the, they expected this Messiah to free them from their political bondage. But Jesus brought spiritual freedom through his death and resurrection. Not the conquering of Rome, as so many had expected at the time. Disillusioned and disappointed, many turned away from him. But Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah, including being rejected by his own people, as Simeon foretold. And many of these prophecies concerned details such as like the specifics of his birth, his lineage, and even his death. And it's like this. This is how I like to think of it. A magician typically makes his tricks more impressive by making things more difficult on himself or herself. He or she will be blindfolded, or they'll have their hands tied behind their back. They'll have a volunteer come up from the audience to write their name on a card so they know it's the, the right one. And all of these obstacles make a successful trick that much more impressive. And throughout time, there have been psychics, mystics, and self-proclaimed prophets who have announced their predictions of the future. But if you look closely at these predictions, you'll notice just how vague they are. It would be easy to fit any big event into it and claim that the prophecy has come true. Now, when God gives insight into those Old Testament prophets about who the Messiah is and who he's going to be and what he's going to do, it's as if a magician being blindfolded and having his hands tied behind his back. He's very specific. Not just anyone could claim to be the Messiah. And this is what makes the story of Jesus so incredible. It's him. He's the Messiah. He fits the prophecies perfectly hundreds of years later. Now, from the beginning, God has always wanted uh, to be close to us. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve, and I can't even imagine what that would even look like, to walk with God. That's awesome. But God distanced himself from them after their choice to sin which is to, they disobeyed by eating what God had told them not to eat. 
And because he is holy, and his holiness cannot tolerate sin, a breach was created in the relationship between God and his creation. And yet, he longs to be with those he loves. He draws close again as he leads the Israelites, his chosen people, out of Egyptian slavery, dwelling in a tabernacle to be with them. And of course, he entered human history as the word made flesh, as we previously saw in John chapter 1. And he arrived as a baby, crying, drooling, and pooping, as all babies do. He probably grew into an awkward teenager, because let's face it, all teenagers are awkward at some point, and dealt with the same kind of things that we had to deal with growing up. It's just the truth. And at age 30, he launches his ministry being baptized publicly, just like we get baptized. And not because he was turning from a life of sin and self to a life of surrender and obedience with God, but because he was obedient to his father. He was God the Son, fully God, yet fully submitted to the will of his father. His mission, to reveal the father to a lost world. So he came close he rubbed shoulders with his disciples. He washed feet and healed many people and would have been considered, that would have been considered untouchable by many others. And he taught through stories with profound meanings. Therefore, it was necessary for him to make in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. And that's in Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. God got in the dust to be with those he made from it. And Jesus' death on the cross came as a complete shock to his disciples. Even though they had, they had heard Jesus plainly say that he was going to die and be raised to life after three days, they still ran and hid in fear and were overwhelmed with grief. But we should not be surprised at Jesus' death because it was so frequently foreshadowed in the Old Testament. For example, when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God instructed each Israelite household to smear their doorposts with the blood of a lamb so the angel of death would pass over them. The Israelites would also sacrifice animals to pay for their sin as part of the sacrificial system God put in place until Jesus was the final sacrifice for us all. And this way of paying for sins with blood is called atonement. To atone for their sins, the most important sacrifice took place on the Day of Atonement. So if you would, turn to our favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 16, uh, 7 through 9 says this, Then he must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of, two of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by lot for the Lord. Life for life, which is the payment for sin. And since we, we, when we sin, we deserve death, something has to take our place and pay the price for us. And the goat in this passage is the payment for Israel's sins. Through this sacrifice, uh, the required debt for sin was satisfied and the forgiveness secured. 
And these sacrifices were never meant to be the final solution for sin, but rather were a temporary solution until Jesus came and offered himself as the final sacrifice. He submitted himself for us and paid for our sins once and for all. This is referred to as penal substitution. And we have all sinned, meaning gone against God and his ways. We have lied, cheated, been less than gracious, gossiped, and treated one another harshly. It's overwhelmingly apparent in light of all the violence we've seen in this past year. Worse yet, we're powerless. (laughs) Nothing we can do on our own can get us right with God. So God made a way for all of us. Jesus paid it all. And Paul lays it out for us in one verse. He says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. But wait, there's more. After dying on a cross, Jesus rose from the dead, just as he had said. And if you don't know, we are currently in the Easter season until we get to the day of Pentecost, which is Sunday, May 23rd. But the Easter season begins with Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. It really wasn't that long ago. Now, if Jesus had never risen from the dead and conquered death, then his sacrifice would have no meaning to us at all. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. You know, Facebook is full of videos showing, showing, showing soldiers coming home from overseas to surprise their family. My wife, Laura, loves these. And chances are, if you come across one of these videos, you will get sucked in, and you're going to cry eventually. There's just something about someone returning from war and the uncontrollable emotions of the family member they're surprising. Their joy is contagious. And because of the resurrection, we can imagine Jesus returning home from war. He's victorious. He's defeated sin and death. And then he returns to life and completely surprises his family. The joy is contagious. He claims victory over death itself. And his resurrection paves the way for ours. We will live forever with God because Christ first made a way for us. And right now, right this second, he's sitting at the right hand of God as our Savior and Lord waiting to come back for us. Because of his authority as God, we are called to trust him as our Savior and surrender to him as Lord. And he serves us both. And to paraphrase author and theologian C.S. Lewis, Jesus, and to kind of answer our question, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Who do you say he was? Now next up we have, uh, as he's living uh, and reigning in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of of the Father in heaven. And the Bible tells us that he has three ongoing roles there, as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. Now, Jesus holds these three offices all at the same time. So let's just briefly take a look at each of these roles and see how important they are to understanding who Jesus is. So let's read a passage at the beginning of the book of Hebrews uh, to get a better understanding. So right at the beginning, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. 
It reads this, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God as he sustains everything by the mighty power of his, his command. When he, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. The first office or role is that of a prophet. When I ask my students what a prophet is, often the response is a person who tells the future, which is what I would assume uh, most people would think a prophet is. Now, future sight is part of the role of a prophet, but it is usually more along the lines of being a truth teller diagnosing the disease of current culture and providing a biblical prescription for healing. A prophet is also able to perform, perform miracles due to God's power through them. And in Luke 7, we read this. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. This is after Jesus raised him. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept through the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Now in the Old Testament, we're going to move to priests. Priests came from the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses, to be mediators between God and between man. And we already talked about how the priests on the Day of Atonement would offer a lamb for the sins of the people. But we continue reading on here. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And that's furthered on in the book of Hebrews. Now in this passage, Jesus is the ultimate priest and has made a way for us to have access to God so we can come to him anytime. Amen? Now last week, we see Jesus as our king. So let's read our final passage of, of today. I know we've got a lot of scripture through us, but one last one found in the last part of Matthew. This is Matthew 28. You may actually beat me there this time. All right. Matthew 28 started in verse 18. This is called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I love that passage. Now, all authority, like it says, is in Jesus' name. He is, again, right now, sitting at the right hand of God Almighty as the victor over death who forgives our sin by the blood he gave when he made the ultimate sacrifice for us because of his immense love for us. And as king, he is worthy of honor and having authority in our lives. 
He wants nothing more than to walk with us, with me and with you. Just as he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden with God, Jesus desperately yearns for a relationship with each one of us. And I think the song, How He Loves, puts it best, that he is jealous for me. Just as the Israelites did time and time again, it's far too easy to let an idol take his place in our hearts. To allow your work life to determine your identity. To allow things like a smartphone to take up all your time as you just scroll mindlessly through Facebook or TikTok videos or online news sites, whatever it is. Or maybe you come to church or watch a service online once a week and hardly consider how Jesus' lordship affects your life the other 167 hours of your week. All of these things are totally powerless. They cannot do anything for us when it comes to our spiritual lives. So, who is Jesus for you? That's the million-dollar question today. Our relationship with Jesus is so personal, no one can answer that question for you. And truly, our relationship with Jesus is just like any other relationship. It's always changing. He's constantly shaping us and forming us to be more like himself as we more fully give ourselves to him. So, is he Christ? The Son of God, the risen Messiah, who died for you to truly live? If you have yet to accept him as the king of your life, then let's make today that day. If you're ready to make that step, all you have to do is confess Jesus as all the things we've talked about today. Please make today that day and enter into the victory that Jesus has already secured. And if you're watching online and want to chat with someone about making Jesus the Lord of your life, please let us know. You can use our communication card to send us a note or even email us at the church office at info at dsf.church. And one of the pastors will be sure to follow, follow up with you this week. Now the church father, Irenaeus of Lyons, I think puts it best by saying, Jesus Christ in his infinite love has become what we are in order that he may make us entirely what he is. If you've already accepted Jesus, then let's just take another step. Have you been baptized? If not, what's stopping you? Jesus was baptized when he entered into his ministry out of obedience to his Father, and we should follow in his example. And what about that one coworker on, on Zoom conference call whose life is crumbling? Or your friend who just tested positive for COVID, even though the vaccine is being distributed widely? I'm willing to guess that those people need some help. They need the truth in a world rejecting the truth at every turn. So Christian, go and be bold. If you know Jesus, then share Jesus. He is the only hope worth offering to our broken world. And finally, let us stand strong in our understanding of who Jesus is. There are way too many lies in the world that the enemy is trying to spread to distract people from the truth. The world needs Jesus. Jesus is the Savior we need, even if the world doesn't want what he has to offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot thank you enough for the gift of your Son. That God, we see his presence all throughout the Bible from the very beginning, and Lord, he enters into our lives personally. So God, let us please stand bold, stand true in a world telling us that truth doesn't matter, but Lord, that you are our truth. God, you are our Lord. 
So let's take those 167 other hours in our week and submit to you daily, hourly, as much as we can. God, I pray for the world around us that they will receive your truth and your power as a world who desperately needs it. And God, equip us to go and baptize and spread your word. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. We don't expect you to contribute financially. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail one of those old-fashioned checks to us. You would also bless us if you would subscribe, share, and like our live stream wherever you watch it. The social media algorithms use those likes to elevate our social media presence, which means more people hear about the ways Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems. Until next week, may the grace of God bless every aspect of your life.